Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your amazing love that you would send your son, your only son, and that he would willingly come. That he would live the perfect life, uh, the sinless, spotless lamb of God, and that he would willingly go to the cross, bear our sins in his body, and die for our sins. And thank you that death could not hold him and that he rose from the dead. Thank you for your love. It is beyond comprehension. We thank you. Now, Father, as you look into your word, may you continue to help us see the glory of what you have done through your son, Jesus. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. What do you hope in? If you think about your life, what are the things that you hope for? What do you look forward to in the future? What things do you hope for? What do you look forward to? Many expect good health, a stable job, a a house, a marriage maybe, children, graduation, look forward to retirement, whatever that might be. But yet when those things don't go the way we planned, when our health goes out the window or we lose a job or the world collapses around us, we don't get the house we were looking for or the, the wife that we thought we, were, we would have or husband, where we have our precious children turning to drugs or, or alcohol, whatever it might be, those things happen. What do you look forward to when those things that you've looked forward to don't go the way you plan? How do you respond? It's inevitable that this life will fall apart and our hopes will be dashed. Well, what do we do when that happens? Because it will. And maybe for some of you today, you think about those things and your life is falling apart, whether you realize it or not. If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes even believers will attach a godly agenda to our hopes, which really isn't verified with the Word of God, and those things don't come about as we thought, and our hopes are dashed. Well, today we're taking a break from our portion in Philippians, and we're going to be looking at how we can find true hope in a truly hopeless world. Would you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24? Luke chapter 24. Now, as you're turning there, I want to share the context of the Gospel of Luke, just a brief portion today. It is Luke's inspired account, which... uh, He says in chapter 1 is based upon investigating everything concerning Jesus Christ, everything carefully, and writing it in consecutive order. And we see that indeed the Gospel of Luke is about the Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now in Matthew's account we also see that Jesus came to his own, those who were sitting in darkness. They were sitting in the shadow of death. They were in their sin. And with his teaching he confronted their wrong thinking. He exposed their sin and he revealed himself as the Christ, the King, the Son of God, and the only Savior. And he called upon them to repent and believe in the gospel, to believe in him for salvation. But the Jewish religious leaders rejected Jesus Christ, and so did the degeneration. And after Jesus had been tried by the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin, found guilty of declaring himself to be God, they beat him and they mocked him and delivered him up to Pilate the Roman governor. And Pilate, not finding guilt in him after having him scourged, that's being whipped with a a leather whip with pieces of bone in it, at the request of the Jewish people, chose a murderer murderer over Jesus to be released, a robber. This coward, this self-centered man, Pilate, 
delivered Jesus up to be crucified. And after being mocked by the Roman cohort, Jesus was led in a shameful procession to Golgotha, the place of the skull, in which we ultimately get our word, Calvary. And it's at this point Jesus was nailed to the cross and crucified with many onlookers. Now Jesus had been put on the cross sometime around 9 a.m., and around 12 noon, darkness fell upon the land until 3. And during this three-hour period, Jesus Christ hung on the cross. When he did so, he, all of our wickedness and sin was placed upon him. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God became sin for us. And he was separated from the Father for the first time. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He received the cup of God's wrath that we deserved for our sin. The sinless, spotless Lamb of, the God, Lamb of God taking on the sin of the world. You see, folks, the wages of sin is death. That's what God requires. And if we bear our own sin after we die, we will experience the second death, separation from God eternally in punishment forever. But Jesus Christ came to die in our place for our sins. And he bore our sins in his body on the cross. Now, it seemed as though evil had its way that day, yet God was sovereign over it. He predetermined it, and Jesus willingly came to do the Father's will, bearing our sins in his body on the cross. And when it was complete, he said, it is finished. It is finished. And we know that the work which he came for, he completed. Such a gracious, loving God who sent his son Jesus to bear our sins. And then he went into the grave. He went to the grave. And now as we begin our look at Luke chapter 24 in verses uh, 13 and on, we're going to back up a little bit and we're going to see what Bob read earlier. It was the first day of the week, which would be Sunday. That's the day after the Sabbath. And here we have Luke's account of the discovery of the empty tomb. Look at verse 21, 20, 20, chapter 24 of Luke, verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as, and, and as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And it's after this that these, these women went and told the disciples, Peter and John, and they came and went to look for themselves, and they believed. And so as we come to our passage, we're going to see how we can find genuine hope in a hopeless world. Again, turn to Luke chapter 24. Now we'll begin with verse 13. And I believe we'll see first of all that the risen Lord still comes alongside those who are misguided, those who are not seeing things rightly. And he exposes the heart if one is willing so that they would respond rightly. Look at verse 13. This is an amazing true account on the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And behold, two of them are going that very day to a village named Emmaus which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all the things 
which had taken place. And here we have Luke saying, Behold, take a look, pay attention, something's going on that I want you to see. Two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus. And obviously the two of them in context were some of the disciples of Jesus. Not of the eleven, but some of the disciples of Jesus. And notice it says that village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And we need to make some observations here, but they are walking away from Jerusalem on the third day. They're walking away that very day. It's the third day and they're leaving. They're leaving their brethren who were gathered in Jerusalem. And look at verse 14. What were they doing while they were on this road? And they were conversing with each other about all the things which had taken place. They were immersed in conversation about all the things that had taken place. Well, what were they talking about? The things that had taken place. If you get the picture here, it's the third day, and they are, they are walking away from Jerusalem, and they're t- where the disciples are gathered together, they are talking, these two disciples, and discussing about what had happened. All the things. Well, look at that. All things about Jesus who had been crucified. All those events. They're conversing about it. And notice our text says, in verse, in verse 15, and it came about while they were conversing and discussing. You could actually translate that debating on one of those. They're almost arguing about the situation. Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. The amazing thing, the Lord God of the universe who had risen from the dead just hours earlier comes to these two disciples who are walking away from Jerusalem. And notice what it says in verse 16. We have a contrast. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him or having true knowledge or understanding or seeing who he was. These disciples were prevented from seeing that this was truly Jesus having risen from the dead at that point. Now you have to ask the question as we look at this. Why would the Lord Jesus prevent them from seeing and knowing who he was? Why wouldn't he just say, hey, I rose from the dead. Believe in me. Cheer up. I'm alive. Why wouldn't he say that? Why wouldn't he say that to these two disciples? He doesn't do so. And we're going to learn a good lesson from this. As we see the risen Lord comes alongside and reveals himself through the word of God. That is how he is ordained to reveal himself. Notice he had to first of all reveal their problem. You know, so often we want Jesus to do what we want him to do for us. And he needs to reveal our problem first. You see, our problem is sin. Our problem is sin. Whatever it is, lust, anger, irritation, jealousy, whatever it is, it's sin. Sin's our problem. Worry, whatever it is. Greed, whatever it is, sin is our problem. Lack of faith. And they, like us, needed to see their sin first before they could see the Lord Jesus. This is a very important principle that we see in Scripture, that God has ordained the means in which his Son is manifested is through the living Word of God, is through his Word. So how does the Lord Jesus deal with them when he comes alongside? Notice verse 17. And he said to them, now remember, he has disguised himself, or he's not recognized. And he says to them, what are these words which you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. 
So you get the picture. They're walking away. They're talking about it. And Jesus comes up, starts walking with them. They don't recognize him. And he says, what are these things that you are discussing? And they stop in their tracks. And they look sad. The term speaks of a gloomy countenance, a sullen gloomy countenance. And notice what one of the disciples' reply was to Jesus. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting, or literally as a foreigner, visiting as a foreigner, Jerusalem, unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Are you the only person that hasn't seen what's happened? Obviously, everyone in Jerusalem knew what happened. You couldn't ignore what happened This Jesus, whom people didn't believe in as God, who had rejected him, the the leaders had brought him up to be crucified, and he was crucified. Are you the only one? It's like someone walking around in New York on 914 in 2000 and not knowing what happened. Are you the only one? Are you the only one? And notice what he says. And he said to them, what things i love this this is how our lord works with us he draws out where our hearts are at so that we will see our sinfulness and confess and be right with him he says what things and they said to him middle of verse 19 and they said to him the things about jesus the nazarene who was a prophet mighty indeed in word in the sight of god and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him but we were hoping that he was going to redeem israel now remember they're stopped in their tracks and they're like this their, their continents they are like depressed in a sense the things and the responses about the things about Jesus, the Nazarene. Now, in their answer, we find their problem, by the way. In their answer, we find their problem. Did you see that? In their eyes, Jesus was or had become a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and the people. And he is now crucified. He was a prophet, and now he's a crucified prophet, past, past tense. And we're depressed about this, and we're walking away. And notice verse 21, but we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. You see, those in Israel at this time did believe basically in what God had revealed, although they didn't reveal in the God, they didn't believe in the God who had revealed it. They believed a lot of what was shared in the Old Testament, yet they didn't see things rightly. They were looking, as we will see, for a redeemer to come to redeem them from their Roman bondage to set up a kingdom, which is partially true, which Jesus would and will do. But they missed the truth of the word of God concerning what Jesus needed to do first. Verse 21, but we were hoping it was him, he who was going to redeem Israel. They were hoping Jesus would set them free from their bondage, take care of their issues, Their faith was in what they hoped for Jesus to do for them. And by the way, sometimes your faith might be based on that, what you hope for Jesus to do. And it may even be based on some biblical principles. And yet scripture reveals that he would redeem Israel, but before that he would need to come. You see, they had taken a bit of the word of God and focused on it to the exclusion of the rest of the scriptures. And as a result... 
Their Jesus was a dead Jesus, not the alive Jesus next to them, by the way. Their Jesus was based on their misguided hopes, based on their misguided view of the word of God. And yet God is so gracious to come alongside them. He is so gracious. They had the if-only syndrome. If, if only. We were hoping. We were hoping. If only this would have happened. If only this would have happened. You ever find yourself in that situation? If only things were different. If only I had a different husband or a different wife. If only my kids would obey. If only I didn't suffer from depression. If only I didn't have this disease. If only I didn't have this, things would be better. We're all tempted to suffer from those if-onlys. And the if you are suffering from this point, you are on the road to hopelessness. But notice Luke continues describing what happens. Verse 21, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, now look at this. Besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some of the women among us amazed us when they sit, when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. And they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels and said that he was, who said that he was alive. And some of those were with us, went to the tomb and found it exactly as the woman also said, but him they did not see. This is amazing. They know it's the third day. They know he was to rise. They've heard the reports of the angels at the tomb. Even some of the disciples, some of us, that went there and saw that he wasn't there. They've heard the reports, but they are still walking away. This blows me away. They knew the truth concerning Jesus, yet they simply didn't believe. Some of you may know a lot of doctrinal truth. You may know all kinds of things about Jesus from the Word of God. But the reality is it's worthless apart from genuine faith in the person, as we will see, of Jesus Christ. It's a personal relationship. They knew it was the third day. They had heard he was alive, yet they still didn't believe. They have a problem. And now they're walking away sullen and sad with their heads down. They're stopped. Are you the only one? Now, what's the danger of having an attitude or heart like this? What we see are these are all symptoms, really, of a life characterized without the real presence of the risen Lord. Basically, a life that exhibits a lack of faith in Christ will result in despair. When things don't work out, because they won't, by the way. Now, what's the danger of having a Jesus based on their hopes and desires, not based on the revealed word? A Jesus to take care of their current problems alone. What's the danger of that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, Paul said, If we have hoped in Christ for this life only, we are of all men to be pitied. If this is it, and this is all Jesus is for us for right now, we are of all men to be pitied, because the real issue is forgiveness of sins and eternal life with the Lord forever. Their Jesus would redeem Israel rather than them. Their Jesus would set up his earthly kingdom rather than a kingdom in their hearts. Their Jesus was a dead prophet rather than the risen Lord. And we are like that at times sometimes. And unfortunately, this false Jesus is being preached in many churches. A Jesus to fix your life. A Jesus that doesn't call upon you to repent and trust in him. Are you to be pitied? Is your Jesus for this life only? 
What do you hope in? Has God graciously allowed your expectations to be dashed? How's your life going? Are you lonely, angry, discouraged, depressed, irritated? What might it, what is it? How's it going? What about those who seemingly hope in Jesus? How's it going? How's your response to situations in your life? How's your response to people in your life? Is your Jesus for this life alone? If so, your hopes will be dashed. Now, what's amazing is in spite of their misguided mindset, the Lord Jesus came alongside them, and he did it and recorded it in his word for us. In spite of them walking away, knowing the truth, and not believing it, he comes alongside them. What a gracious God we have. And we need to recognize the way we find true hope in a hopeless world is to know that he's still willing to come alongside misguided hearts. But yet we need to see what he does when he comes alongside. Look at verse 25 back in Luke chapter 24. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets had spoken. It's emphatic. O foolish men and slow to believe in heart in all the prophets had spoken. He's speaking to people that should have known the word of God, just like maybe you, being in church week after week. He's speaking to people that weren't pagans. And he says, foolish and slow to believe. Now that doesn't seem very loving, but it's very loving, as we'll see. The term foolish means without understanding. And some lexicons say it it has a sense of unwillingness to understand. And then the term slow means slow or dull mentally. It could could be translated stupid. Oh, foolish men and stupid in faith to believe. Slow of heart to believe. And notice what they were slow in heart to believe, middle of verse 25, in all that the prophets had spoken. You have an unwillingness to understand the truth of God and you are slow to believe all that God has revealed through his prophets. That's the Old Testament. Now what was the root cause of this foolishness? They had a faith based on their own agenda, not on the truth of God. They had a faith based on their own hopes, not on the God who came for them and died for them. And don't miss this word all. Slow to believe. All. All. You see, some people believe a little bit of the word here and there. They believe, cherry pick what they like. I like that part. Jesus is loving God. I like that part. Oh, I don't like this part. He's judgmental. No, they cherry pick the word of God. Slow to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. And notice he continues. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things to enter into his glory. Do you know who the Christ is? The Christ is the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords who would take on human flesh and die for our sins. The Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Messiah. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? If these men had understood and believed the complete revelation that God had already given them, rather than bits and pieces to fit their lives, 
They would have known that Jesus had to suffer first before he entered into his glory. They would have read maybe the prophet Daniel and known that the Messiah had to be cut off first before he would receive a kingdom. They read Isaiah, they would know that he would need to be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He would be allotted a portion with the great. Before that, he would be allotted a portion with the great and exalted. Indeed, Peter makes this clear. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1. Keep your fingers in Luke. You see, the Old Testament revealed the truth of what needed to happen concerning Jesus and what would happen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit and sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. The Lord God, through his prophets, were bringing forth the truth that the Messiah needed to suffer first. He needed to suffer first. That not only did they not believe God's word from the prophets, they evidently didn't believe what Jesus had said also. Luke chapter 9, 22, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Jesus himself had been declaring over and over again, over and over again, that this had to happen. So then what's the root cause of their despair? It's the root cause. It's sin, but more specifically, a lack of faith in what God has revealed concerning his word. More specifically... So often we're in the same boat. We know the truth, but we don't believe it in the context of a real relationship with Christ. We don't believe it. We practically speak, we know he'll never leave us or forsake us, but yet we don't believe that on a practical basis and we remain lonely. We know he paid the price for our sins, that we're forgiven. We know that truth, but yet we don't believe it on a practical basis, so we don't confess and we stay in guilt and shame. We don't believe that he's sovereign and in control, although we understand and believe that. But practically speaking, we don't. So we're angry and frustrated about our situations. Some of us don't believe he's preparing a place and coming again, so we make this place a heart in our homes. There may be some here today who don't believe that he is God and that he rose from the dead, accomplishing the work of salvation. You don't believe that he'll judge you for your sins. You've been you bought into the lie. So you live for today, whether it's religiously or irreligiously, in guilt and shame or hardness, awaiting eternal damnation. But God's a gracious God. He comes alongside misguided people like you and I. They would have known that he needed to suffer for the glories to follow, but they didn't believe it. The root cause is a lack of faith. And so what can we gather from this? We need to let the Lord Jesus give us understanding of what our problem is. You see, we go to everyone else in this world, try to figure out, we have so many excuses for why we do things or whatever it might be. 
We need to let God, through his word, reveal truly what's going on in our hearts. And it is only after God has defined our problem through his word by his spirit, and we're willing to receive that, that we can then accept his solution. You may know all the truth about the gospel, but you've never truly acknowledged in the same manner in which God has declared that you're a sinner in need of salvation. We need to accept his solution, but we can't do that before we allow him to define the problem. And he reveals it from his word. Notice verse 27 back in Luke 24. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. This is an amazing passage. You've got the disciples hanging out. Some of them have checked the tomb, and they saw he's not there. There's a report from the women that he's risen from the dead. You've got these two guys walking away, and you've got the Lord Jesus coming alongside them, and he's talking with them. He's disguised, or he's, he's, not, he's made himself unrecognizable at this point. And now he explains from Moses, with, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, explained to them the things concerning what? Himself in all the scriptures. This is so amazing because, again, he doesn't say, Behold, it's me, I've risen, just like I said, cheer up. With these people, they needed to see their sin first. They needed to see from the word of God who Christ was. And you see it there. One pastor writes, this is a very important lesson. When we are discouraged, there is one place to turn, not 15, not 5, not even 2, but 1. It's the word of God and the God of the words. Now this is where he took these, he took these disciples to the word of God. Folks, the word of God is sufficient for everything pertaining to life and godliness. It equips us for every good work. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's the, the Old Testament, that's the first five books of the law and the prophets. It was a slang term for the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets. He explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures, written word, graphe. Written word. Wait a second, you mean Jesus didn't use the 12-step program? Or the purpose-driven life, or boundaries, or personality traits, or what about theology? He didn't tell them about the reformers and all they have done? Be facetious. He shared the word of God. He shared the word of God. Do you tell me Jesus didn't take them to a counselor to help them out? Now, a counselor shares the word of God, praise the Lord, but if it doesn't, notice what Jesus does. And beginning with Moses... And with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Tremendous passage, John chapter 5:39. Jesus is sharing with the with the the, the leaders and the and the Jews. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. You think just obeying the word is going to give you eternal life. He says, "Wait a second." He says, "And it is these that bear witness of me." They bear witness of Jesus Christ. And you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. The reality is, Christ alone, revealed in the word alone, is sufficient to address all of our problems. Every single one. Every single one. Including our worst problem, which is sin. Now this term explained there speaks of expounding or interpreting, unfolding what is being said. He's explaining this is amazing. 
It brings up another point. We need God to help us understand the Word of God, by the way. And that's what His Spirit does. So what an amazing thing. The risen Lord explaining Himself in the Scriptures and on this long walk. Think about it. He explained from Moses, and through, beginning in Moses and all the prophets. He probably shared that He was the seed which the seed which would have his head bruised. But through that bruising, he would crush the serpent's head. Genesis chapter 3. He probably shared that he was the seed of Abraham in which all the nations would be blessed. He probably shared that he was the Passover lamb in Exodus, the atoning sacrifice in Leviticus, the smitten rock in Numbers, the prophet to be raised up in Deuteronomy 18, the king, the anointed one, his son, who we are to take refuge in, Psalm 2. The stone which the builders rejected, Psalm 118. The child who would be born unto us, who would rule, wonderful counselor, mighty God, father of eternity, prince of peace, Isaiah 9. The one who would be pierced for our transgressions like sheep, like a sheep that was led to slaughter in Isaiah 53. The branch of righteousness in Jeremiah. The one coming in the clouds in Daniel who would receive an everlasting kingdom. That he would be in the ground three days and three nights like Jonah in the belly of the whale. Jesus probably shared that he was the mighty one to save in Zephaniah, the son of righteousness with healing in his wings in Malachi. What an amazing walk. I can't wait to see the replay in heaven. And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus in all the word. It points to him, as he told the, the leaders. It points to him. You search it because you think you've got eternal life in there. No, it points to me. He's the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Listen to Isaiah 53. Actually, turn to Isaiah 53. The message that they should have heard, which Jesus probably shared with them, the things in the scriptures concerning himself. I can't guarantee it, but I believe he probably did. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, that's speaking of Jesus, grew up before him, that's like the, that's the father, like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor an appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hid their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening for our well-being fell on him, and by his scourging we have been healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray, each has turned his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. You see, Jesus Christ is this only Savior. He needed to suffer first. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God poured out our sin upon Jesus in our place. Jesus took care of our sin. And if you're willing to look to Jesus, believing that he's God who took on human flesh and died for your sins and rose from the dead, if you're willing to call upon Jesus, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. He'll forgive you. You'll be forgiven. You'll be cleansed. You'll be cleansed. 
he shared with them all the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Are you despairing? Are you doubting? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of Christ. I'll tell you right now, if you're depressed or despairing, you're probably looking for yourself, solution, looking at yourself in Scripture rather than Christ. We're all tempted to do it. How do you deal with hopelessness? Alcohol, business, counseling, ministry. How do you respond when you get irritated, angry, depressed? How does God deal with these things? He points out our lack of faith in Christ and our sinfulness that we would see it rightly and that we could turn to Christ. So how do we find true hope in a hopeless world? First of all, we need to realize that no matter how messed up we are, the Lord Jesus is willing to come alongside you. If you're willing to listen, if you're willing to listen, he'll come alongside you. Secondly, what does he do when he comes alongside? He reveals our problem. We are slow to believe the truth concerning him in every aspect of our lives. Now notice, lastly, we're going to see the result of what happens when someone responds rightly. Notice the result here. The result of responding rightly. Look at verse 28. And as they approached the village which they were going, that's seven miles away from Jerusalem, that's the village of Emmaus, he, that's speaking of Jesus, and he acted as though he would go farther. So they're walking along and they've been talking and sharing all the word of God and wonderful, right? And uh, he's acting like he's going to continue and go on. And they're getting to their destination. And so what do they say? And they urged him, saying, stay with us, for it is getting towards evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. What are the results of a heart that's wanting to listen to the truth of God? You want to be around the God of the truth. You want to hear the word of God. You don't want to split right away. Oh, I can't take this. You want to hear the word of God because your heart's right. And notice, as we see this, their blind eyes were opened. Verse 30. And it came about when he had reclined at the table with them, he took bread and broke it, or excuse me, and blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Isn't that amazing? They're sitting, breaking bread. He's with them. And this is the risen Lord, glorified Lord. He's risen right there. And uh, they break the bread, and he vanishes from their sight. Amazing. And it says, verse 31, And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. When were their eyes opened? When he began to notice down a little farther, verse 35. And they began to relate their experience on the road, how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. He's broke the bread, and it was my thought as he's breaking the bread, they saw the nail prints. When are our eyes opened? When we see our sin? Accept by faith what God has said. Believe what he said about us, that we're sinners, we need a Savior. When we believe about what he said about his son Jesus and accept that free gift, our eyes are opened. When one turns to Christ, the veil is removed. 
Some of you have a veil. You may come to church. You may do the church thing all the time, but you just don't, you can't see it. When you turn to Christ, the person of Jesus, that veil is removed. Turn to Jesus. Have your eyes been opened? Have you allowed God's word to reveal your sin and the only Savior? Look at verse 31. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? They were responding. Their hearts were responding to the word of God. Hearts were burning. Weren't they burning within us when he was explaining the scriptures? Isn't that awesome? They didn't just say, Were not our hearts burning because of that nice time with that guy? Because when he was explaining the scriptures, the word of God. Oh, dear misguided brother or sister who looks for Christ in other places than the word. You're actually running from him rather than looking for him. Go to the word of God. Let him speak to you. Get in a church that preaches the word of God. Get around people that share the word of God from a right heart. God uses his word to reveal his son Jesus to save us, and he uses his word to build us up. But it's not a mechanical thing. Remember he told the the leaders, you search the scriptures because you think you have life, you're you're trying to do all this stuff. Rather, they point to me. points to Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ. We're not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us. Well, not only if you have a right response, will you want to be around the Lord and want to be here in his word, but also you'll want to be around his people. Look at verse 33. And they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They didn't say, well, we'll hang out tonight and go back later. They turned around and went right back that seven miles. They arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the 11 of those who were standing. Now, by the way, when Christ gets your heart right, the things that you were doing that weren't right get reversed. They were going the wrong way. And now they're turned back. They're going, doing the right thing. And they said, and they arose that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and they found gathered together the 11. And found means they were looking for them, and they found them. And those who were with them saying, the Lord has really risen And he has appeared to Simon. That's what they heard earlier. He's appeared to Simon. That's true what Simon said too. It's true. They told the others he's really risen. They were walking away in disbelief, had been confronted from the risen Lord. The word shared with them. Their hearts were were changed. They recognized him in the breaking of bread. They wanted to be with Christ, and now they want to be with his people. Blind eyes are opened. You see, an evidence that your heart has been changed is you want to be around the people of God for the right reasons. He who separates himself seeks his own desires. They're walking away. But they turn back. They want to be with God's people. Have your eyes been opened? Have you met the risen Lord? Have you believed in his word? How can we find true hope in a hopeless world? We need to know, first of all, that the Lord Jesus will come alongside us. And he's come alongside you today, no matter where your heart's at. He's sharing his word to you, no matter where your heart is. He's gracious. You're on that road, and he's talking to you through his word. And recognize what he does when he comes alongside. He reveals our foolish unbelief. 
He reveals our sin. And he reveals himself from the word of God, the only solution to that. And if you respond, your eyes will be opened. Now, obviously, non-believers' eyes are blind and can't see. He'll change you. He'll save you. But those of us who are believers, we can get slightly hardened hearts. He'll take it away. Well, some of you here today have lived long enough to see that things you've hoped in, that your life isn't gone the way you thought. You're empty, you're still living in the guilt and shame of your sin. And today, the Lord Jesus would cry out to you to believe in him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Trust in the Lord. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And then for those of us who are believers, have we allowed sin to creep into our lives as evidenced by uh, depression, irritation, anger, whatever it might be? Have we allowed it to creep into our lives? Worry. We're all tempted every day in all those things. We are. But God is gracious. He's trying to reveal to us we've lost sight of him. Turn to his word. Allow him to change your heart. Yes, there's still difficulties, and they're not good, and they're not fun, but God is a good God who has a bigger plan than that. He's working all things together for good. And then for those who are following the Lord, walking with him, do we see this day rightly? Are we willing to praise the Lord God that he has risen He is risen indeed. Are we willing to have hearts that rejoice in the truth of what it means that our sins are forgiven, that we've been forgiven of everything? We are the blessed. Blessed are those whose transgressions have been forgiven, in whose account the Lord will not impute their iniquity. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you that... You are so gracious. You sent your son. And thank you that he comes alongside through his word. Comes alongside us when we're going the wrong way. I pray for anyone here who is going the wrong way. Whether it's religiously or irreligiously. That they would have listened. That their hearts would have been burning as your word was going forth. And that they would turn to Jesus. Lord, and they would understand that that will... As their eyes are open, they'll have a desire to be with you and with your people. Lord, we are thankful for your son who rose from the dead, who has risen indeed. May we rejoice and praise you for your son Jesus, who conquered death and sin in the grave. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. Kelly and the choir, would you lead us as we close and sing Our God Reigns?